Welcome back, everyone, to the Hardest Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jared. Down here, we have the one and only South Jersey Jason. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you tonight? Um, long car ride today, but I'm amped up about our episode. Where'd you have to go to today? <sighs> Some Huckleberry Town in Pennsylvania. Um, <laughs> it was out by Penn State, so definitely. Oh, okay. like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So what's going on in your world? Anything new? Well, I, before I started the Arnold documentary last night, I should have started the Freddy documentary, but I didn't know it was out. So that'll be uh, on this weekend. Arnold documentary on Netflix. Yeah, right? it's really good. How, how many parts is it? Three. Okay. Okay. Which is kind of like it goes weightlifting, acting, and then governor. Okay. Now the Freddy, that's on uh, its own app though, right? Screenbox, which I still have from Terrifier 2. I was waiting for this to come out before I ended it. Oh, okay. I gotcha. All right. How much is that? Is it really do a trial subscription? I think it's like $4.99 or something a month. Oh, okay. Not bad. Yeah. Hey, Shelly. How you doing? Thanks for coming by. How you doing? We have yeah, a friend. Get on the Twitch. Yeah. Hop <laughs> on the Twitch while you're in there. All right, I'm getting on Twitch. Hold on. Uh, where's my Twitch? Oh, there it is. And Shelly actually produced some of the images we have for tonight's episode. All right, shout out to Shelly. Oh. Gotta make sure she gets the credit because I'm stealing them from her. <laughs> <laughs> now, is Shelly a haunt actress as well? She's a haunt fan. I know she's worked with a couple haunts acting, but okay. she's All she's right. obsessed like we are. There you go. I love Shelly. Oh, she loves Shelly. Shout out. That's right. We'll shout you out. No worries. There you go. All right. So you you had a weekend. Yeah. So uh, here comes a dog. Uh, so Saturday, Dave and I went to Blairstown, New Jersey, and uh, we started a day out at the Blairstown Diner and we got in a costume. He did a really good, crazy Ralph. Um he was the hit of camp, let me tell you, and I'll get to that in a minute. But, uh, yeah, we were in costume for like an hour and a half, just walking around the diner, taking pictures. I had Stefan, who came down from Canada. Uh, this is a dog, and uh, it's a girl. It's uh, Maggie. Maggie, come here. Come here. Come here. Come here, you little shit. Come here. Come here. All the time, she's always up on my grill. Now she's one time here. Come here. I'm sure she'll pop back in. Well, she looks like a Jack Russell. She's uh, actually Beagle, Pomeranian, and Super Mutt. For the guys listening out there, Shelly needs to know what kind of dog it is. Yeah. Brian just didn't lose his mind. Yeah, she's uh, (laughs) 15 and a half pounds, and she's fully grown, and she's about eight or nine months now. Uh, She's the run of her litter. Her brothers uh, are a little over 20 pounds. She's cute, but she's a terror. Um, So, yeah, so we're at the diner in costume, and then... Had some. I had the Blairstown. Um, no, I had the Blairstown omelet um, on Sunday, Saturday. I just had my standard eggs and and home fries. Uh, so we went to the dine or we went to the uh, Canton Movie Bosco, and we missed the rain by like a half an hour, which is great. Yeah, very little dog, but she takes up the whole damn bed. Um, so we were at the camp for from one to six. Dave was in costume, and man, if he was charging photographs. He would have went home like with some good money. Let me tell you. Oh, next time, um, charge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, we walked around for a little bit, and uh, I took some photos. And uh, 
So Dave met first person I met was Russell Todd, who played Scott in part two. He was the one that was horning for um Tracy. Tracy, I think her name was Tracy in Turkey. Uh the one, the girl that wore like the shorty shorts, yeah. Minnie Mouse, yeah. So he didn't have a picture of Muffin, which I thought he would at least have, you know, because he was dancing with her in one scene. But he had a photo. God, man, this guy is like in good shape. Probably a couple years old, but, you know, without a shirt on. And I said, this is kind of sticking out, you know. He's like, well, that's my Buffin photo. So, um, but he was really nice, came right up to you and said hi. Um, Then we got the group photo with all the part two cast around the campfire. But Paul, who was taking a shit, we had to wait for him, the guy to play it on. Uh, in the in the um at the end of part two, Ginny goes, "Where's Paul?" So Amy Steele, who played Ginny, said, "All right, on the count of three, we're gonna yell, where's Paul?" <laughs> so that was fun. I got to see Laura Marie Taylor again, and she's always nice to talk with. She forgot that I was going. Um, then we did um, he reenacted his monologue where he goes, "Listen, I'm gonna give you straight about Jason. You know, like a two minute uh, monologue and." he was like giving me eye contact the whole time. And I was like, giddy, like a schoolgirl, you know, he aced it too. I watched the video. Yeah. Yeah. He did it really good. Um, the only thing I didn't get to meet Annie from part one, because she left early and doing the video took you know a little longer because people were talking and we had to make sure they weren't talking, but Dave got to meet her and he brought his, Bowie knife. It's the exact same kind that Mrs. Voorhees had in the original. So on the sheath, he had her write My Demise, Robbie Morgan, Annie. So that was cool. Um, they gave us lunch. I didn't know lunch came with it. So we had these really nice subs. Uh, they had the replica vehicles there. So they had Mrs. Voorhees' Jeep. They had the red pickup truck that Ned drove and they had Ralph's bicycle. Um, so halfway towards the day, there's a state trooper SUV coming down the driveway with the lights on and the volunteer was in the passenger side and he gets on the PA and says, we're looking for a Ralph. We hear he's gotten drunk again. So that was good. So um, after camp, we um, went to the Blairstown Inn, which is across from the diner and had dinner. Dave bought me dinner. So I'm, thank you, Dave. I had really good wings. Their wings are awesome. So next time, Jared, that you come up to the um, Blairstown, I'll have to take you to the inn and have some wings. Oh, yeah. I love me some wings. Yep. Uh, then we went back to, to the hotel, and within a half an hour, Dave was out. You, know? <laughs> um, <laughs> you guys picked It was a hot day. I'll give you guys credit. It, it, it was the hottest what, day. No, 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 no. That was Friday. Oh, yeah. Friday was the hot Saturday one. we went. We locked out. You man. did. Yeah. I think Rick Polt was dying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we did see Rick that morning, and little Ricky was in his part two, and he gets in the character because he had his little axe and he whacked me. I think he chopped my nipple off. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's all Rick. And, um, so we actually met a woman. Um, I saw her at camp, and I thought she was actually a volunteer. The one thing that stuck out was she had like a leg sleeve of hard tattoos, which was really cool. And uh, so she was at the diner when we got there for dinner and Gary, the owner said, Hey, Brian, I'm going to introduce you to uh, Hannah. 
um, I already showed her your Facebook page and she's following you. And she had a very sad story. I won't get too much into it, but her husband recently had passed away within like six months ago. And it was always a thing that they wanted to go to, to camp. So she went like in his honor or their honor, you know. So we got to talk in and she's from Vermont. And she works part time at this hotel that's very old. And apparently a little boy died there and like was murdered or something. And so she was just talking to me all about it. And the next day, Dave and I showed her to the other filming locations and she watched her video the night before. Ah, so nice. she, yeah. So um, she sends me a message Sunday night to second me and Dave for the hospitality and invited us up free of charge to stay at the hotel um i already talked to the boss and they're on board and if you want to reach out to the the, the cast members too to stacy and let them know that they can come up too anytime they want so and uh she gave me the name of the hotel i the phase hotel i think it's called but i'm gonna look it up because i hear it's got some really good activity there oh okay but uh her daughter just had her bridal shower at the Lizzie Borden house. Like, how cool is that? That's you know? a badass family. I like to <laughs> like to know them. Yeah, yeah, very, very nice, very nice person. But she subscribed to our YouTube page, watched her video. So yeah, so did some networking. And, yeah, you did, uh, and it paid yeah. the hell off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we got thirty in two days or something like that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so Sunday. Um, I got home probably like around two in the afternoon. I went, you know, went to the diner for breakfast, had the Blairstown omelet. It was good. I think you've had that one. Oh, we yeah. Went, right. Yeah. It was really good. Oh, yeah. I, threw um, that up. I visited the ice cream shop, talked to Lisa and Scott. Um, it's looking nice in there. They got it's, I would say, halfway done. So they got a nice little uh, souvenir, like uh, local artists with the T-shirts and stuff. So it's really nice. Uh they were looking for some Friday the 13th memorabilia. And I'm like, well, I don't really have anything like that I can give away. <laughs> I mean, I do, but I don't. <laughs> but um, I'm, I told them I have an extra hockey mask that I have. So I'll drop that off and give them 8x10 they can put on the wall. And speaking of 8x10, Rick has, well, a 6x6 of... Yeah, your 6x6 painted the ass fucking yeah. size. <laughs> well, 8x10, it doesn't come in too great, you know? Okay. So, um, but yeah, it was a very, very, very good weekend Part one and two casts are just like, I don't see them as celebrities per se. They're so down the earth. They're just like, they could be your next door neighbor. You know, they're they're really cool. So, and the fans are really nice. Uh, I've met some people, um, like a woman came by herself and her husband's not into it. She flew in from Wisconsin. So, you know, so all Very over cool. the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nice. So, and I'm going back to the diner on Sunday because I'm going to get Rick one of those hats that they had posted. They're oh, making okay. hats now. And I'm going to see if it fits me, but Mike didn't realize how popular they would be. And he's pretty much almost like sold out of the first run. So, and then uh, a friend of mine, BJ Crowder, he is buying a coffee mug. So I'm going to pick up that for him and and ship it out for him. Very cool. Yeah. Very awesome. You ready to get into this monster that we have today? Yeah, let's get into the Perone family haunting. Perrin. Perrin, Perrin, yep. sorry. That's all tomato, right. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> no, that's fine. 
Guys, this is the Parent Family Haunting. Well, another step in the Warren Files. Uh, it's also, it'll say The Conjuring in the title, but this is kind of the true story behind the story of The Conjuring. And really quick, we didn't realize how popular the Warren video was going to be. No, it blew up. It did. Yeah. And that was really our intro video to yeah. all these hauntings. So yeah. I'm interested to see how these come out. Yeah. All right. So the house address of the Perrin family house. First, let's show you what it looks like today. Let's see. I got it somewhere in here. There's an aerial view of it. Very awesome. And then oh, nice. we have. Now, this is the one where you can sleep over, right? Yes. Okay. We'll get into that, too. So there's a full image of the Perrin house. It's actually our backdrop right now. Creepy old house. Very creepy. Beautiful looking. It is. Yeah. So this is located at 1677 Round Top Road, Burlville, Rhode Island. Property history. This goes back a little bit. I'm going to call it the Conjuring House because that's what everybody calls it, but it's yeah. actually the parent. Oh, real quick before you get into it, I tried looking up that Sally Jesse Raphael or whatever with the family that got, you know, anal the smurl. By the yeah. Ghost. I could not find it. All right. I spent I'll look like a for good it. 15 minutes. <laughs> I'll look for it again. Like I said, I did all this two years ago, so like, I'll find it. I might even have the clip. I'll have to dig. All right, so the Conjuring House land precedes its colonial records by thousands of years, while it was occupied by the Nipmuc and other local tribes prior to Roger Williams purchasing the land as part of the establishment of the colony of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations. Having been expelled from the Massachusetts Bay Colony for espousing freedom of religious worship and separation of church and state, Roger Williams established Providence Plantations in 1636 in Narragansett, Rhode Island. In 1639, Gloucester, now Burlville, Rhode Island, became part of Providence Plantations, including this estate deeded to the Richardson family. The land was deeded in 1680 and was surveyed by John Smith, one of the original Virginia colonists. Hmm. Like so, uh, John Smith, Kahanis. I think so. Um, wow, this, this, this property, like the deed is almost... Like you're yeah, talking before. Salem witch trials. You're talking before we were a country. You're talking yeah, it's, it's, long it's like 400 time and, ago. About 420 years old. Yeah. Right now, indeed. That's nice. That's really cool. Roger Williams believed that the best way to preserve the land was to deed large parcels to those who chose to follow him and his teachings. He did so to protect it from a rather overt encroachment from Connecticut and Massachusetts. The original estate deeded to the Richardsons was more than a thousand acres. Mm. It was subsequently sold off in parcels to families in the area, some who are still there hundreds of years later. Wow. Mm. Because women had no rights to property at this time in history, their estate transferred through marriage from the first colonist, the Richardson family, to the Arnold family. From the Arnold family, it transferred to the Butterworths and then to the Kenyans before being purchased by the Perrins in 1970. The, the Butterworths, 70s. is that? I wonder if that's the Sierra family. Uh, I doubt it. They would have um, probably had a bigger then, house. Uh, Shelley said, uh, it's not creepy, it's beautiful, and always a John Dang Smith. Yep, John Smith. <laughs> in 1980, the Schwartz family purchased the property and sold it to Norma Sutcliffe in 1987. Corey and Jen Hazen purchased the property in 2019 from Norma Sutcliffe. 
and launched the business to allow investigations and day tours. In May of 2022, Jacqueline Nunez purchased this property and is continuing growing the business. Wow, so they only had it for three years and sold it off? Yeah. Man, if I bought something like that, I would have it to the day I die. People don't understand, dude. The house as it is now stands was completed in 1736. Hold, hold, hold up. I can say Butterworth. That didn't get banned yet. It's this this is not a cancellation podcast, Shelly. Back the hell off. I'm going to. Where's my Mrs. Butterworth? I'm bringing them all in. I'm going to get stuck and put them all right here. Yeah, my stepson kept one. Of course he did. What is Mrs. Butterworth canceled? Was she canceled? I don't know. Or is it Aunt Jemima? So. Aunt Jemima's Aunt Jemima. canceled. Aunt Jemima, Uncle Ben. Oh, did you see Rick's uh, Cracker Jail bag? Cracker Jail bag? He went to a baseball game and he had Cracker Jail. The best part was she wasn't white like a cracker. <laughs> <laughs> God. Oh, my God. Okay. Let's, let's talk All about right. Conjuring. <laughs> the house as it now stands was completed in 1736, wow. 40 years before the signing of the Declaration of Independence. This magnificent homestead has survived countless storms, King Philip's War, the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, well, it didn't really get up that high, and the unbridled growth of the Industrial Age in America. The house is a testament to the need to preserve history. Eight generations of one extended family had lived and died in it, and apparently some of them never left or visited with some frequency. History has a story to tell. We will never know all of it, some of which has been lost to the annals of time, one thing is certain, there are a few places like it which remain intact, and it deserves reverence for the national treasure that it is. It should. I'm surprised they haven't put it on a historic landmark for being so old. Yeah, well, you know, you gotta pay the popper for that. Yeah, that's true. Alright, so you can do uh, our tours for $20, certain dates. Now, here's the bullshit, and this is what pissed me the fuck off. If you're not a content, if you're a content creator with 15,000 le- or less followers, your charge for the one night is $1,280. Up to eight people. So you can kind of split, split it. it. Yeah. If you are a big content creator, you're going to pay 1500 bucks. Why? You know, yeah. You're already making $1,280 a night. Off this fucking house. You're going to be well, okay. For overnight. Okay. So weekend. So are they saying like I can come on a Friday and stay till a Sunday? No, this is one night. These are one night fees. That's ridiculous because. 300 more Buff- dollars because you have followers. The Buffalo so- Bills house. Like they're pricey. But you get the whole weekend. Like. I oh, know this is one night. That's ridiculous. Uh, that's ridiculous right there. Yeah, so that kind of bothered me because you're already making your money. You don't need to make more money because they're going to make a little cash. I mean, unless you have like a million subscribers, the views are going to make like 20 bucks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. A little ridiculous if you ask me. I wonder if they have an hourly rate for content creators. Nah, it just (laughs) says 20 bucks for that. All right, so we're going to meet the Perrin family. I got pictures of all of them. Let me bring this closer here. Now, did Shelly give these to you? Or No, I got all these. When we get towards, like... W- Actually, you know what? Let's do that now, because we're talking about the rates. We're talking about today. Let's go into what it looks like inside. You guys mm. ready? 
Let's now, did it. Shelly go to the house? Yes. Or... Oh, nice. So she took these pictures. She just got back from Salem, so oh, she stopped cool. there on the way back. Thank you, Shelly, for these pictures. Let's get into them. Here's a living room. Pretty cool. I'll leave that up for a couple seconds so you can see it on the Twitch. So if heads have over a thousand subscribers, they try too hard and want to be famous so they can pay extra. No. Who's that? Is that the other? And the number is 15,000 subscribers. A little. <laughs> oh, 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 you're talking about that honker. Right? They don't need to pay extra. You're already making your money. <laughs> All right. So there's the living room. Mm -hmm. Here's another picture of the living room. You can see they the have flooring. that. I wonder if that flooring's like original. I'm doubtful. You're talking 300 yeah. years. So they got the Ouija blanket. You got the Ouija boards on the thing. You got Annabelle locked up over to the right. Oh, you do? Where's that at? Oh, yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah. That's cool. Well, do you think that kind of takes away from the house, though? Because you're putting another um, character in there that doesn't belong? It just adds to it. I think it's fun. Okay. Uh, okay, so yeah, the house is... I know it's not the real Annabelle. Uh, so yeah, the house is going to get exploited way more. Yeah, but if you're a content creator, people are watching your stuff, they're going to want to go to the Conjuring house, so it's free advertising. So no, they should not be charging extra. Game, point, give me a mic to drop. There we go. <laughs> Alright, so that's the living room. Let's go into the basement. Hmm. That's creepy as hell. And it actually looks like the movie a little bit with the stone walls and everything. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, and the, the basement kind of reminds me of the setup of the orphanage in um, Gettysburg, which yeah. is now a gift shop. Look at so. the giant slabs of like granite that are on the floor. Yeah, that's insane. That's cool. Yeah. All right, I so bet we got mighty cold and damp in there. We have another <laughs> angle right here. That's even creepier. Good job by the photographer. Oh, nice. Pretty cool. We have a random hole in the ground. It's not a portal to hell, as much as I wish it would be. Uh, Zach Baggins is going to say it's a portal to hell. But the story was that she's told me was that if you died, they could take your property. Mm. So they can... Um, they would poison the wells so you died and they would take your property. So they started building oh, houses wow. around the wells. So that's a well. Oh, okay. Which they uh, seized off with a barbecue grate and a uh, fence post. Well, Shelly, you're going to have to send me, your, send me the link so I can subscribe to your page. Then we have... Uh, do I not have a drawing? I guess I don't have a drawing. Oh, here's a drawing. Someone drew this after the parents left. Looks like a hanging victim. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's meet the infamous parent family. We have the father, Roger. Let's bring his picture up here. There's good old Roger Parent. Next up, we have the mother, Carolyn. Then we have the four thousand daughters hey, they had. Karen, like doing like the blue steel face. <laughs> I think it was a little before <laughs> that, brother. <laughs> All right, the oldest sister, Andrea, and the most notable. She's the one that does all the interviews, right? Yeah. 
That's Andrea Perrin. Then we have Nancy Perrin. It's a bur- blurry picture, but what are you going to do? It was the 70s. Then we have Christine Perrin. Then we have Cindy Perrin. If you guys are listening on the podcast, this is definitely a more YouTube-friendly episode, so you might want to just come in and subscribe like four times. Uh, And that's all of them. So five daughters. Five daughters, new house. Wow. That's a lot of waiting to get into the bathroom. Yes. Yes. In 1971, the Perrin family moved into the farmhouse they bought in Harrisville, Rhode Island. The farmhouse had vast space to raise their five daughters. Never imagining the things that would take place over the decade they lived there, the farmhouse made famous in the movie The Conjuring. Andrea Perrin, the oldest daughter, has written three volumes of House of Darkness, House of Light. She would describe the farmhouse as an ideal place to live, even if the sisters had to share bedrooms. One night, things began to happen. At first, none of the family thought anything of it being supernatural. Andrea mentions that some things happened in that house that she would never tell anyone. Not her parents, not her sisters, not even her best friends. Andrea went on to say the seance we saw in the movie was the most terrifying night of her life. Over the next nine years, the parent family learned that there was no veil between the physical and the paranormal world. Doors slammed, beds shook, and once in a while, apparitions would appear. Once in a while, they were also physically harmed by spirits who wanted to make themselves known. The youngest daughter, April, started having conversation with a little boy that was a ghost. His name was Oliver Richardson. She didn't know he did not belong to this world. Most of the spirits were harmless, but one had a grudge against the mother, Carolyn Perrin. One afternoon, Miss Perrin was sitting on the couch resting and felt a terrible pain in her leg. She couldn't understand why she looked and she couldn't understand why, so she looked and saw a round make mark on her calf, pouring out blood. Wow. Carolyn suffered abuse that ranged from being pinched to being slapped from time to time. Okay, question. Was there any goops playing the butts? Uh, no, not here. This was apparently the only, uh, backdoor play was the Smurl house. (laughs) All right. So I have a video we're going to play real quick of Andrea Perrin talking about some of the shit she went through before we continue on with the story. Yeah, let's just take a little quick. that this was bigger, stronger, and more powerful than any of us had ever had a sense of. And none of us moved into that house thinking, ooh, I wonder if it's haunted. We were little kids. that, That concept never occurred to us. My parents are both Virgos. They're both very sensible, very pragmatic, very intelligent, very scientifically based people, both of them. And it took a while for my father to accept the fact that the house was haunted but meanwhile my mother was going through incredible turmoil and my sisters were having experiences of their own I was having experiences of my own we could see that my mother was troubled by something and so we did not 
impose what was happening with us, the five girls, on her. Instead, my sisters would come crawl into bed with me at night, sometimes crying, sometimes trembling, and would cuddle up to me and say, Annie, Annie, there are voices in my room and something's moving my bed. There are voices and they all talk at once and they all say the same thing. And that's my little sister Cindy, eight years old. There are seven dead soldiers buried in your wall. Over and over, almost like a chant. One voice, but several. Seven. And she would crawl up in bed with me and cuddle up next to me and say, just keep me safe, keep me safe, I'm so afraid. And then she would come to me and say, Annie, there's a little girl that walks through my bedroom. She's tiny. She's maybe four or five years old. And she's crying for her mommy. And she looks just like you. She looks just like you. Well, Cindy didn't know what I looked like at four or five years old because she wasn't born yet. But she'd seen family photographs. And so she was describing this little girl. And then we thought there were two of them because sometimes the little girl would appear in a, almost a flannel or a linen gray shift with a little white pinafore and she looked very healthy and robust and she'd often carry a book under her arm and she'd walk through the bedroom she'd come out of the eaves she'd walk through the bedroom and she'd go into the closet with the chimney and she wouldn't say anything she would just pass through but when she'd come other times she was dressed she was emaciated there was nothing left to her and she was wearing a beautiful, beautiful green velvet full-length dress. That was what she was buried in. And she's been there forever. And she's not the only one. Keep in mind, this house was on property that was deeded, was surveyed by the original John Smith that came to Providence to um, the Plymouth Plantation um, at Plymouth Rock. And he did the surveying and the deeding for Roger Williams for the state of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations, which is the actual name of the state. And the reason that Roger Williams parceled out huge pieces of property was to retain the state that he had founded as a colony. It was not a state for many years to come. But Connecticut, the colony of Connecticut, was trying to take their bite out of it, and Massachusetts was trying to take their bite out of it. So he gave vast tracts of land out. And this property was thousands of acres big, originally. And the house, as it stands right now, was completed in 1736. So if you do the math, eight full generations of one extended family lived in that house and died in that house prior to our arrival and a number of them never left. 
All right, so that was Andrea Perrin kind of talking about what we just talked about. But real quick, um, uh, Shelly wrote, I would divorce Roger, too, if he was accepting back robes from the bitch that's terrorizing me and trying to boot me out of the house. Uh, is it cheating? They're on another pa- parallel world. Or, A new plane. You know, yeah, another plane. Plane, plane. They're in the you. further. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean... I don't consider it cheating. All right, no. so <laughs> moving on. Roger Perrin said he would feel an invisible hand touching him with lust. He would sometimes feel a hand on his back and turn around, and there was no one there. That's when he started putting it together. That's when you start putting it together? Not that your <laughs> wife's randomly bleeding? The family learned about the woman that used to live next door, Bathsheba Sherbin. She was married. It was said she had four children, and according to local folklore, she killed her children and offered them to the devil. It was hard to confirm, but she was, however, accused of killing one of her babies. They couldn't prove that she did it, but suspicions were raised in that peculiarly, uh, in the weird way, the baby died. It was found with a large sewing needle pierced in its head. So here is Bathsheba Sherbin. Oh, wow. So, yeah, she looks like an evil bitch. She looks like a Karen. Yep. So here's the <laughs> tombstone. The tombstone's gone. Oh, wow. People uh, ripped it apart. So it's no longer. Oh, really? There. Yeah. So that's one of the oh, last. Wow. Uh, I don't know who would put a wreath around a fucking devil worshiper, but okay. So, okay. What year did this happen? Okay. Did I miss that or did I not hear it? Bathsheba. Like, when, what time frame was this? Doesn't say. So it has to be like in the eight, like late 1800s to have a photo like that. 1885 is when she died. Okay. May 25th, 1885. Hmm. Look at that. Good thing I got that tombstone. Yeah. Oh, she went there to do Sir Hag stuff. And Sir Hag. <laughs> Sir Hag stop and trying not to judge. That's cool. <laughs> she went to the grave. That's awesome. I mean, do they have at least something that says it's her, though? Like, if Not anymore. I think it's crumbled. The last I heard, oh. it's crumbled. Oh. How did you find it, Shelly? That's cool, though. Yeah. Bathsheba would also starve and beat the farm staff. Due to this information, they started believing it was her presence that was disturbing the Perrin family. There's a big separation between who thought Bathsheba was doing it. I've seen. Did they mention Bathsheba in the movie? Oh yeah, who's yeah. the main architect? Was she? Yeah. Okay. Okay. The night that the Warrens arrived at the home, they brought a medium with them. Andrea and her sister Cindy hid nearby and watched the medium conjure up a spirit. She attacked Carolyn, was picked up and thrown into another room, getting body slammed to the ground. They believe that this medium opened a door that she could never close. According to Andrea Perrin, more research was done on the history of the property, finding out that at least a dozen people had committed suicide or suffered a tragic death on property. The Perrin family lived in that farmhouse for 10 years. They didn't have the means to move out, having endure all of the house's occurrences. Similar to what we saw in The Conjuring, once the Warrens arrived, it was said that it got worse, but Bathsheba left Carolyn alone after they left. Andrea's Perrin, a- Andrea Perrin's novel was turned into a film in 2013. 
Same name as the books, Andrea Perrin, House of Darkness, House of Light. So that's one of the articles that we found about the Perrin haunting. You can Google all this. Okay. So now we have the Warren's file, right? Are they Nesper? Yeah, so this is the yeah. Nesper article that they had. The Perrins. In January 1971, the Perrin family moved into a 14-room farmhouse in Rhode Island, where Carolyn Roger and their five daughters began to notice strange things happening almost immediately after they moved in. It started small. Carolyn would notice that the broom went missing, or seemed to move from place to place on its own. She would hear the sound of something scraping against the kettle in the kitchen when no one is in there. She'd find small piles of dirt in the center of a newly cleaned floor. The girls began to notice spirits around the house, though for the most part they were harmless. There were a few, however, that were angry. The Farmhouse Karen allegedly researched the history of the home and discovered that it had been in the same family for eight generations and that many of them had died under mysterious or horrible circumstances. Several of the children had drowned in a nearby creek. One was murdered, and a few of them hanged themselves in the attic. The spirit that was depicted in the film, Bathsheba, was the worst of them all. Whoever the spirit was, she perceived herself to be the mistress of the house, and she resented the competition my mother posed for that position, said Andrea Perrin, the oldest of five girls. Bathsheba it turns out there was actually a real person named Bathsheba Sherman who lived on the parents' property in the mid-1800s. She was rumored to have been a Satanist, and there was evidence that she had been involved in the death of a neighbor's child. Though no child ever took place, she was buried in a nearby Baptist cemetery in downtown Harrisville. The parents believed that it was Bathsheba's spirit that was tormenting them. But Andrea Parent has said later on that it, they did not believe it was Bathsheba, so I don't know... That's really the only inconsistency I found out of Andrea Perrin. Okay. So. I guess to make the story more sizzling, the Warrens just added that, you know, for the dramatic effect. Uh, yeah, a lot of people have said that Lorraine was the cause for that because she saw the name and made up this. Whatever. Well, Bathsheba does sound like a devilish name. Yeah. So. According to Andrea, the family experienced other spirits as well that smelled like rotting flesh and would cause beds to rise off the floor. She claims her father would enter the basement and feel a cold, stinking presence behind him. They often stayed away from the dirt-floored cellar, but the heating equipment would often fail mysteriously, causing Roger to have to go down. The Seance Over the ten years that the family lived in the house, the Warren made multiple trips to investigate, at one point, Lorraine conducted a seance to attempt to contact the spirits that were possessing the family. During the seance, Carolyn Perrin became possessed, speaking in tongues and rising from the ground in her chair. Andrea claims to have secretly witnessed the seance. I thought I was going to pass out, Andrea said. My mother began to speak a language not of this world and a voice not of her own. Her chair levitated and she was thrown across the room. After the seance, Roger kicked the Warrens out worried about his wife's mental stability. According to Andrea, the family continued to live in the house due to financial instability until they were able to move in 1980, at which point the spirits were silenced and the haunting ceased. Do we know that it ceased? We don't. Alright, so 
This <laughs> was an interview from FreeSat from Andrea Perrin. What's FreeSat? Some website. Oh, uh, okay. Andrea Perrin was the oldest of the five Perrin daughters and was witness to both the horrors and the joys of her childhood home. Andrea has offered the three books we keep talking about. <clears throat> Describing the house as a portal cleverly disguised as a farmhouse, here's what Andrea had to say on the events of her childhood in the new documentary. Thanks, Andrea, for taking the time. Why not start by telling us your connection with The Conjuring? The house was bought in 1970. We lived there until 1980, and it had a profound impact on every single member of my family, and yet all of us responded to it differently. It is the most amazing place I've ever been in my life. I can't imagine ever being separated from it in heart or mind. I go back as frequently as I can, but my mother will never step foot on that property again. She said so the day that she left uh, with us in 1980. As we drove away, she said, I'm never coming back here. Me, I can't get enough of it. I want to go back as often as possible, but I have a different relationship with the spirits in the house than my mother did. And so I completely understand her point of view. So do you think she's like, um... <sighs> that's the word I'm looking for. I mean, she's got, I mean, do you think she's got a connection with the spirits? And I wonder if like she gets, it's under, like maybe when she's there, it's, she's in like a catatonic state where, you know, she doesn't realize, you know, like, yeah, maybe. I don't know. She likes it though. All right. So you know, when I eat my wings, I get into a, in a state that's euphoria and uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> maybe, I need some good wings. A... Stockholm, Stockholm syndrome. There you go. It, it Thank you. Could be, but if she wasn't really affected, she could have just found the cool. You know, like uh, nothing hurt me in the old house. I thought it was fascinating. So I think it's a little bit of that. So you wouldn't describe it as a haunted house, then? Andrea responded, "I don't like the word haunted." because I feel that it has a negative connotation. I like to think of it as a shared space. I think we don't have the vernacular right now. We don't have the language at our disposal to describe the kind of integration and detachment that exists between the living and the dead. So I'm hoping that over time, our language and our ability to be able to descriptively discuss things like this evolves, because I don't call them ghosts, I call them spirits. But really, when it comes down to it, it's all semantics. Living among the dead, that's what we did. We dwelled among the dead. The dead dwelled with us, and they would make their presence known with such regularity that it got rather crowded in that house from time to time. But mostly, it was a glorious experience, and I think that should be the takeaway for people, that not everything has to be doom and gloom and being terrified out of your mind. The more we understand, the less we fear. Well, if you talk to Ed Warren, demon! Demon! According to Ed Warren, there's more demons on this planet than people. Demon! What about the spirits that dwelled with you in the house? What was your experience with them? We lived in duality. There's darkness and light. There's good and evil. I have per personally witnessed pure, unadulterated evil. My mother was attacked and almost killed in that house by something that was invited in by a medium who was, as far as I'm concerned, com committing spiritual malpractice. You don't, kick open wide the you don't kick open wide the doors to the netherworld and invite everything in to determine who the culprit or the spirit in the house is. Because when you do that, you're letting in energy, 
cosmic energy, universal energy, whatever. I'm telling you that whatever attacked my mother was not of this earth. It spoke a language that does not exist. It lifted her lifted her in her chair and threw her 20 feet from the middle of our dining room into the middle of our parlor. She almost paid with her life because somebody was sitting at the table that did not know what they were doing. Mr. and Mrs. Warren were there. They had a priest. They had a medium. They had cinematographers and audio specialists. Yet there was nothing recorded of this event. The camera was smashed to bits in the cellar and the audio came out nothing but white noise for the duration of the seance that went horribly wrong. My mother was not possessed. My mother was attacked. Was the medium you mentioned Lorraine Warren, who was also depicted in the Conjuring film? What was your opinion of Ed and Lorraine Warren? Ed and Lorraine Warren walked into our house the night before Halloween in 1973. My mother and father had no idea who they were when they came to the kitchen door, but my mother let them in. And Miss Warren came in the kitchen and she walked over to the old black stove put her hand on the corner, and then she just covered her eyes. She said, I sent some malignant presence in this house. Her name is Bathsheba. But in the movie, it's the mom that seeks out the warns, right? Yeah. So uh, Shelly said that uh, she would love to listen to the white noise. Yeah, she does a lot of that at Pennhurst. Oh, yeah? Nice. Yeah, you're going to have to follow her on Instagram. She's got some cool shit going on at Pennhurst. Um. And we yeah, gotta I subscribe already subscribed to, to her. All right, very I, cool. I subscribe to her YouTube channel. I'm on a son. There you go. <laughs> I will forewarn people. If somebody ever claims to be an expert in this field, do run away from them as fast as you can. There's no such thing. And not only are they being disingenuous with you, they're lying to themselves that they think they're an expert in this field. That just simply doesn't exist. We're all little children lost in the dark finding our way home. 40 years after moving out of that house, I was with Lorraine Warren at a private screening of The Conjuring a few months before it was released. That day that she said to me that she was sorry because she and Ed were in over their heads the moment they crossed the threshold of that house. They just didn't know it yet. But I will go to my own grave believing that they did everything in their power to help us. They just didn't know how. In fact, it was on Ed's deathbed that he begged his wife to tell our story in whatever way she could because he described their investigation of our farmhouse as the most intense, most compelling, most disturbing, and most significant of all of our inf- investigations that they ever conducted over more than 40 years as paranormal researchers. Did they say the same thing about Annieville yep. House? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Demons! <laughs> So do you agree that Bathsheba was the malevolent spirit that Lorraine Warren believed her to be? No. I think that's very unfair on Bathsheba. The In an earlier interview, she had said yes, but mm-hmm. whatever. Bathsheba Sherman had a bad reputation for being very mean-spirited, no pun intended, but she did not live there. She was born on the Thayer family and married farmer Judson Charman about a mile and a half away. But they were only a few homesteads, and naturally all the neighbors knew each other. Apparently a baby died in her care, and there was an inquest regarding the death of the infant that said that a needle had been found and paled at the base of the skull. Excuse me. But that could have been a terrible accident. We don't really know, and I don't think that you should accuse someone of murder unless you've got some real evidence to back up that claim. If my babysitter had a sewing needle in my kid's head, yeah, she's getting fucking blamed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the baby just accidentally fell on it. <laughs> yeah. 
She lived with that terrible dark cloud over her for her whole life, and I cannot absolve her of guilt. I don't know what the circumstances were, but I could be her great defender, and I have been. Unfortunately, when Miss Warren decided that she felt the dark presence in the house and said it was Bathsheba, then everything that happened in the house got blamed on Bathsheba. And that's just not the case at all. I just don't believe that. And I've had spirit connection with Bathsheba, even at her own grave smoke. I've heard disembodied voices. She's come through the spirit box to talk to me. She's a part of my consciousness and a part of my life. And I defend her at every turn. Because, you know, unless somebody could prove to me that she was a practitioner of witchcraft, which I just don't believe, because she wouldn't be buried in hollow ground with the rest of her family if there was any, any, any evidence of that. And what she was accused of in life, had she lived a hundred years earlier, she would have gotten killed up the road in Salem. There's a dangerous word to throw around. Even today, in some parts of the world, women are slaughtered because someone said they are a witch. I'm not saying that Bathsheba was the most pleasant woman in life or the most pleasant spirit in the afterlife, but in some ways she lived a tortured existence. She lost three of her four children before the age of four, had this prejudice against her for years, and I couldn't imagine the hardship of living in New England back at that time. So I feel compelled to defend her honor. In the Warren's case files that The Conjuring was based on, Miss Warren basically blamed everything on her, but the real story is richer and deeper and more convoluted. They can't squeeze 10 years into a 10 two hour film. Hmm. Apparently you had a family pet named Bathsheba. Is that true? <laughs> Andrea said, yes, that was before we moved to the farm. And that name just kind of fell out of the sky. My mother named our little dog Bathsheba. We didn't know the biblical reference. We were just little kids. So we abbreviated Sheba, but her given name was Bathsheba as a little puppy. And you know where, where did that come from? That's weird. So they named their dog yeah. Bathsheba before even getting to this house. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. What about other spirits in the farmhouse? Was it not frightening to live with them? I'm not saying I was ever frightened in the house. I was particularly frightened for my sister Cindy and what she was enduring. And I was especially concerned about my mother because clearly yeah. there was a spirit in the house that I think was dead long before Bathsheba Sherman was even born. An ancient spirit that spoke with a deep Scottish brogue and threatened her and used language that was already out of favor in the 1800s. She approached her, I think during our second year. I'd have to go back and check the timeline on that, but she approached my mother and she said, I twas mistress once afore you came, and mistress here will be a nun. That's language that was not even used in the 1800s. It was already out of favor as language involved, and that was not Bathsheba. The only spirit that ever self-identified at the house is represented as the little boy Rory in the film. His name is actually Oliver Richardson. He was probably five or six when he died. My sister April's age when we moved in. So it's not unusual that he would reach out to her. But when he told her what his name was, we didn't even know yet that the house wasn't built by the Arnolds. In fact, it was actually built by the Richardson family. And so there was a real connection. But it took another couple of years of research to find it. What about the Scottish spirit? Did you have any theories on who that could be in life? Well, when I moved in, we met a very, very old man who was in his 90s, Mr. McGurin. He labeled himself the town historian. He just knew a lot about the original homesteaders in that area. He said that it, based on his own knowledge and research, he believed that a Miss Arnold had hanged herself in the barn at the age of 93 
1797. Those were the dates he gave us. We have yet to be able to verify that. But she was the one who I think probably considered herself the mistress of the house. She was threatened by my mother's presence there. She wanted mom out. She wanted dad and us to stay. So whoever it was, the female spirit with a broken neck that approached my mother twice. She just wanted my mom out of the house. I think she just wanted to live her life again vicariously with my father and us. The five children that she seemed to covet. She approached Christine. She approached Cindy. I saw her. I don't think Nancy ever saw her, and I don't think April ever saw her. We almost had different spirits that liked us best. Best. I don't know. I can't explain it. It's bizarre, and yet last night during a spirit session that we were having at the farm, I was there last night at 2 in the morning. What came through was Abigail Arnold, who I believe died in 1865. She came through, identified herself, identified me as being president of the house, and then her direct message to me was, we miss your family. Mm. Yeah, that's creepy. So they're still yeah. very much there, these spirits, and we don't know why. I mean, what is it to keep some earthbound while others go off? I speculate about it, and I wonder if it's because they claim their own lives and they're afraid to go to the afterlife because it might be the hellfire and damnation they were raised with. So they fear burning for eternity for hell, and they cross, and they fear to cross over. Or that they died so suddenly and tragically that they don't seem to understand that they're dead. They're confused. It's, I think, a lot of things. And the more we study, the more we research, the more we communicate with them, the more we learn. And that's the beauty of what we do. That was the interview with Andrea Perrin. And another, another thing I read is Andrea sat down with James Wan told him a lot like more than she's told more people and he said i can't make that fucking movie it'll never get published so that's where some of the articulate came in so yeah that's the true story behind the conjuring i watched the conjuring Mm. with my son the other night did he get scared no he really liked it though now he wants to watch the whole universe oh nice he got uh shelly on it she was going off uh that's where uh, that's the entity could have attached to Bathsheba. Maybe that's where it gets haywire, just spitting theories. Um, don't forget Manny. I don't know who Manny is. So Kara, I don't have any info on Manny. Manny. Yeah, that's everything I found on the parents. Um, so um, now, obviously, the mother's probably passed away by now. Um, if not, she's very, very old, but. Out of the siblings, you know, if the other siblings are alive or they tell their have told their story. The like only one story. I always find is Andrea. So I couldn't Andrea, even answer okay. that for you. You'd have to Google that guys out there. But uh yeah, a lot of information we just went through. <laughs> yeah. But uh I feel I feel like uh the stories leading up to them buying it are interesting. Yeah. You know, especially Bathsheba and um, you know. A lot of death. I liked it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it. That was the time. Yeah. People didn't live past like forties in some cases. Yep. And a lot of infant deaths. They didn't have, uh, you know, the medicine back then. So, but yeah. But thanks, uh, the first spirit Andrea ever seen. Oh, okay. Okay. And she knows her stuff. She does. She does. You should get her on the show. I know. I've been trying to get her on the haunts one, but she's like, I'm shy. I'm like, come on. Oh. <laughs> you have a YouTube video. 
you should be you shouldn't be shy because i'm sure i haven't watched your videos but i'm sure you do a lot of narration we should do a ghost hunt with her though oh that'd be, that'd fun. be a good episode yeah definitely i'm i'm down for it just not in the summertime too hot too sweaty <laughs> and you know that shit's oh. not happening in september october so <laughs> december oh. it is christmas time goes <laughs> on Oh man. But yeah, that was uh the conjuring true story. That's probably what I'll title this just so we could use the term the conjuring and all that. Or this the true story behind the conjuring. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so what's um next would are, be can... Amityville, but we're gonna push that back a little bit because we're working on stuff with that. Yeah. So I think maybe we'll head to the Snedeker house. Okay. We're gonna go across the pond. No. That's the that's the one in England, right? No, that's the um Enfield. Enfield. Snedeker was Connecticut. The Haunting in Connecticut. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I gotta watch that. We gotta watch that over the weekend. Yeah, maybe I will, too. I know it's a little far-fetched. Uh, I, I can be quiet when I have to. I'll be I'll be hiding behind Jared, because if I see or hear something, I need something to <laughs> no, I'm gonna bother everything the whole time. I'm gonna I'm gonna be like Zach Baggins and entice her. I gotta find a really shitty green filter that makes my phone look like a potato because you can't ever have good footage of a ghost hunt. <laughs> mm. Oh, is that out Zach, loud? Speaking of Zach Baggins, I want to talk about a douche right now. Let's let's I'm, douche it up. I'm going to take a play from Rick Paulton from the whole damn enchilada. Oh, your, we're doing I mean, our own dildo of the we're week? We're only doing our own dildo of the week. So, a few years ago, I was pretty good friends with a uh, a podcaster in the Friday 13th community. And up until like 20, it was very successful. And he had a very good co-host. And that co-host decided to uh, branch off into his own thing. And he does true crime. And within a year, he quit his job and his podcasting full time. Oh, shit. So that's why this guy, and we'll call him the chief, started getting sour. Okay. And as 2020 goes on, you know, people's attitude, pandemic, they're all cranky and get their panties in a bunch. And he decided that he just wanted to put his target on me and rip me a new one for no reason because he didn't like a costume that I had. So I stopped talking to him. Now this is going on uh, about two over two years now. I haven't talked to him. When we were in Blairstown, I took a picture of the museum and put Friday 13th Museum closed. Well, someone started asking questions. And after the second question, I knew this was a fake account and I knew where it was coming from. Not from the chief, but an acquaintance of the chief. So I immediately blocked that person. Then I took the post down because I was just uh, I was over it. Because they said I was trolling the museum, you know. No, I was being informative. If you want to come to the museum, it's closed. Sorry, it's an ice cream shop now. Well, how are you they, trolling if they're closed? That's not on you. You didn't close the fucking museum. Right, well, because they're they're Facebook friends with the curator. Okay. Right. So um on their and they release an episode every once every six months. They're not relevant anymore. I would say pre-pandemic they were relevant, but the chief is a nasty son of a bitch. He's very toxic, and that's why I don't hang around people like that. So he decided to mention that on the show because every once in a while when they do release it, I'm like, oh, what are they going to talk about? Because their shows suck anyway. Okay, so 
he mentioned the post. He didn't mention Ming. But he decided to he wanted to body shame me and call me a fat retard. Right. Even though I don't like using that word retard. Um and then I'm like, okay. I guess I'm my I guess I still am am rent free in your head after two years, you know? So J3, who makes my costumes, uh, he shared a post from a, a new customer and it looked really, really good. It looked like the guy could be in, in a, a movie. Okay. So someone else had shared it, and the chief uh, decided that he wanted to continue poking fun at me and again body shaming and said, you know, um, these are this is miles better than what that portly guy a couple years ago would dress up as. So my J- Jim J3 said, well, I made that too. And he's like, oh, yeah, I just want to say how you've become you progress since then so he's still trying to get digs so i want to give a big you know two uh salutes to the chief from cbr your show's irrelevant no one cares what you guys talk about and if you still want to talk about me hey i'm glad uh you know i'm in your mind because i pretty much have forgotten about you until you started talking about me so it's not my fault that I came out of the I came out of the woodworks and became friends with a lot of the actors when you can't even get them on your show anymore. So are you, are you jealous? I think so. Okay, rant over. All right. <laughs> Holy crap! Yeah. Hey, oh yeah. You guys. Uh... I, I mean, it's ridiculous. And if I wanted to stoop to his level, I could really just post what happened. What happened to him a few years ago that pretty much ruined his career. But I won't do that. <laughs> nope, no need. They know. No. Yeah. All right, guys. But uh, this has been the Hardship Podcast. This was the true story behind the movie The Conjuring. Conjuring is one of my favorite all-time horror movies, so check it out. And uh, the story is much different. And uh, we just plate-fed you a hell of a lot of. Now you got to pay three hundred extra. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't there yet. They said fifteen thousand yeah. subscribers. I ain't there yet. Oh, who knows? We keep having the week we're having. We might. But guys, hey, I said I said uh like a week ago that I think our video will get at least two point what five, and we're almost there in a week. We got three days to hit two point five. Possible. We're at two point two point one now. Well, we're almost yeah two. We're over two point one, almost at two point two. So. Yeah. We're slowly climbing there, and we thank we thank you. Like we again, we didn't think this video was going to take off. It was more just a test run. Yeah, we learned again. We learned a lot from it to make the next ones better. And hey, thanks for the views. Yeah, definitely. It, it's I can't believe it ever slowed down. So, Man. thank you guys for checking. In. Thank you for all mm-hmm. the new subs. Um, we don't usually go on rants like that, but shit has to happen. Shit has to happen. I had to get it off my yeah. back. You know. Feel free. And- I'm fine now. And yep. thank you again, Shelly. Uh, it was fun interacting with you. Yeah, she's a mess. But uh, yeah, we should do a filming location at Penhurst. She goes there a lot. I've never been there. I've always wanted to go. Yeah. I've had some um, one or two people that um, were um, members of where I used to work at. They came from Penhurst. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But guys, this has been the Hard Shed Podcast. We come out every Monday. Make sure you like, subscribe, 
hit us up on the Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, your sister's ass, wherever. But uh, we are out. We will see you next Monday. Halloween Hunts 365 Productions.